All right, James 5, 13 through 20. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. May God add his blessing to the reading of his words. All right, well, welcome back to uh, Live Long and Prosper. We've uh, borrowed the title of this from, from Star Trek, but they kind of stole it from the Ten Commandments, so we're really just taking it back. And uh, we're using it in this series in kind of a unique way. Uh, you know, it, it probably sounds appealing to come to, but it's, it might be a little bit depressing once we get into it. And you realize that, that uh, rather than talking about living long and prospering in this life, we're talking about a hope much better than that. Uh, but the truth is that, that most of us and most people really like the idea of living long and prospering, don't we? I mean, we really like that idea. And, and so, as a matter of fact, you'll notice that around this time of year because this last week, a lot of folks, about 30 million at least, tuned in to the Republican National Convention to hear someone tell them that he's going to make them more prosperous than, than the other person running, right? And then if you want to tune in this week, you can hear Hillary share the same thing. She'll share that, that well, you know, if you really want to prosper, vote for me. <laughs> you know? and, and people will vote. Uh, many of them on based on who they think will help them live long and prosper, right? And, and it's not just politics where we see this, and we see it in the church as well, where uh, people look to the church for and religion in general uh, as a source, as a place where they can hope to live long and prosper in this life. And, and there's preachers and teachers who've recognized this this kind of innate desire in people and try to capitalize on it and and so we have had for as long as there's been Christianity there's been false teachers right and the apostle Paul wrote to Timothy and he said look Timothy there's going to be a time when men will not put up a sound doctrine instead to suit their own desires they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear and so we're trying to be a church that instead does what Paul told Timothy to do, preach the word, correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. We want to be a church known for speaking the truth even when it's not as pleasant as the untruth, right? Right? Okay. <laughs> All right, well, and we know, we know how it works. And, and this, uh, last week we looked at... at live long and prosper with regard to wealth and how that there's you know a lot of false teaching that says that you know Jesus God wants everyone that believes and has faith in him to 
prosper financially and, and to be you know just blessed beyond measure and and you should no no believers should be in poverty if you are it's a, it's a faith issue or something and, and you need to get right and and because you shouldn't be living that way if you're in and we looked at just how well that doesn't line up with uh, with Jesus own experience or his disciples or the early church and so there's more to life than wealth and, and we looked at that and and this week we get to talk about uh, health with regard to this and and then not next week next week I'll be gone and Ron Cootie missionary to Turkey will be here and, and that should be interesting with all that's going on in Turkey right now and I got to visit with him a little bit at camp meeting this last week and it was interesting that what he was telling me was quite different from what I read on CNN imagine that and, uh, and so uh, so that may be pretty interesting but but and then we'll back first week in August we'll wrap this series up talking about success but you know this this temptation to 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 kind of twist scripture and and to believe things that aren't really there is is an old one and and I mentioned last week that I was really surprised when I found that when Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness it was kind of wealth health and success And, and the second temptation that Satan tempted Jesus with out there he took him up to a high point, the highest point of the temple, and said to Jesus, why don't you just throw yourself down? Because it says in God's word that if you, you know, that, that you won't be harmed, that God's angels will lift you up and you, you won't strike your foot on a stone and, and he's going to take care of you. So, you know, he, he quoted a verse from, I believe it was Psalm 91, kind of twisted it out of context a little bit, made it sound really appealing. Jesus fires back. Yeah, it also says, don't test the Lord your God. <laughs> And so we see there, you know, that for as long as there's been Christianity, there's been this fascination with the miraculous, the temptation to, uh, to test God in some ways, to, um, to look for miraculous health, health and healing. And, 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 and false teachers have, for ever since, you know, have taken pieces of scripture, taken them out of context, twisted them a little bit, made them sound really appealing. And, and so... It goes today. Now, with regard to health, if we're honest, though, you know, we all struggle with this one to some degree. It's one that's hard to wrap our, our minds around, and there's lots of questions. Seems like more questions than answers when we look at Scripture and with regard to healing and, and divine healing and, and those topics. And, and probably you, like me, have wondered why don't we see more divine and miraculous healing the way that we see it in the New Testament? with Jesus ministry and even with the apostles and and in just the last year or so I've I have two acquaintances in ministry associated with the church of God that have struggled with this question and they looked for answers by going to uh, two different divine healing conferences and this is something that's growing in in our culture and uh, one of those preachers in particular went back to his home church and began to implement some of the things that, and emulate some of the things that he had learned uh, at that conference. And so, you know, one Sunday stands up and, and says something like, well, uh, the Holy Spirit's just laid on my heart that somebody here has, has been dealing with, with bladder problems. And I, and I want you to come down and I, and I want to pray for you to be healed of that ailment today. And, and my aunt was sitting in the room and she said, well, duh. Every lady in here that's had a couple of kids has some bladder troubles. <laughs> Don't need the Holy Spirit to tell you that. <laughs> I could have told you that. 
And, uh, you know, on and on things went like that. And perhaps you've seen something like that on television or somewhere. And, and maybe you've wondered, you know, is that real? Is that of God? Is that of something else? What, how do we discern what is good and, and what's not good? And, and along those same lines, in just the everyday goings and comings of our lives, we wrestle with this issue of God's healing with the people that we know, the situations that we hear about. Why, why does God heal this person and not this person? Why, why does this... I mean, today, I got the news this morning that a dear friend of our family's... Uh, our family is, has gone on hospice. He's dying of cancer. He's too young to be dying of cancer. Godly man. Why, why does that happen? And then other, you know, sinners go on living forever and ever. <laughs> Sometimes, you know. And... and we ask questions, we wrestle with this, why, why this person, why not this person, why, is it a faith thing, is it what, you know, and, and should, we, should we be praying differently, should we be doing differently in the church, should there be more of that emphasis on divine healing that we see on, you know, Christian television or, or wherever we might, or at a conference like that, and, and so there's a lot of questions that we have, and so needless to say, we need to buckle in today because we're going to be addressing a lot around this topic. To do that, we'll look at Scripture. And just as you know, many people who would teach a prosperity gospel that says everyone that's a believer ought to be healthy all the time, uh, they, they might point to Jesus' ministry of healing. So I want to take an example of Jesus' ministry of healing. It's actually found in John chapter 5, and you're welcome to look at it today. I would encourage you to go home at least and read it today. I'm just going to talk to you about it today, and we're going to kind of unpack some, some truths, some things that we observe from this particular divine healing moment from Jesus' ministry so long ago. And the setting was that Jesus had traveled to Jerusalem for one of the several festivals that they had each year where everyone traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate them. And as he came to the gates, to the outskirts of the city, there was a pool by one of the gates. Now, not a swimming pool. <laughs> it was a source of water in that day, in that arid region. Pools like this were important. And, and so he came to this pool. Now, interestingly enough, until about 150 years ago, skeptics said, there is no pool there. This stuff's just made up. And then guess what happened 150 years ago or so? You know, archaeologists dig up a pool right by the gate where they said it was in Scripture. So imagine that. But, uh, you know, sooner or later you'd think they would give up on some of that. But they think that it looked something like this from the things that they've dug up. But it had, in Scripture, it describes colonnades. And that's what you see there with the pillars and the coverings, you know, for shade. And, and so under these colonnades, we're told, were sick people gathered around. Because at this particular time in history, there was a phenomenon going on here. Uh, we know about phenomenons and fads, don't we? Pokemon Go, <laughs> you've probably heard of. And if you haven't, just turn on the news. But fads crop up. And this was one of those kind of moments that at some point, the water's of this pool had stirred someone had been healed when they touched the water right after that and so the belief spread that there was an angel that would periodically stir the waters of this pool and whoever got in the pool first when that happened 
was healed. And so droves of sick people came and gathered around this pool, competitive sick people, <laughs> all trying to make it into the pool first. And Jesus shows up to this scene. And somehow or another, he, he hears about one particular case of all these sick people there. A guy that had been crippled for, it says, 38 years. Now that's a long time. That's longer than I've been alive. Uh, but I'm getting closer and closer to that each July. But we're 38 years this man had been crippled. Just He's there laying on his mat. And we have this scene where Jesus comes to him. And if you just picture this, you know, he's having to weave his way through, perhaps even kind of tiptoe around the crowds of sick people laying around this pool, right? And he comes to this guy and he says, do you want to get well? Now folks, you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> well, if you were just making up the Bible, you know, if you were just making up the gospel, why would you put that in there? I mean, who would ask a guy laying there by the pool of Bethesda on that day, crippled on his mat, do you want to get well? I mean, why else is he there every day, all day, all week, right? But Jesus bends down, he says, do you want to get well? And this guy spies an opportunity. He says, well, sir, I sit here, but every time the waters are stirred, someone beats me in there because I don't have anybody to help me get down there. And he's thinking, you know, here's a compassionate fellow. Maybe this Jesus guy will help me get down there before the, the rest of these sickies. And I can be the first one in this time. I'm going to beat them all. <laughs> and, and Jesus must be thinking, who has time for that? <laughs> and he just tells him, well, pick up your mat and walk. And so the guy does. He just stands up. He grabs his mat this man who had been crippled for 38 years stands up, takes up his mat and begins to follow Jesus out. And can you imagine again the scene as they weave their way through the crowd of sick people waiting to be healed. The man who had just healed and the man who had just been healed and they're weaving their way through the crowd. It's so crowded that they got separated in the crowd. But I just want to pause for a second and, and ask us to realize that surely there was someone there that said, wait a second, did I miss something? Did the water stir and I missed it? <laughs> how, how is he healed? Now that's not fair. <laughs> I didn't see anything going on with the waters. Who's that guy? Did he heal him? Why didn't he heal me? And the first thing I just want to point out about Jesus' healing ministry is it was not fair. I mean, sure, the guy had been crippled for 38 years, and that's a long time, and that's a sad story, but I'll wager it wasn't even the saddest story there. I mean, you can always find a sadder story, right? Jesus didn't heal everybody that he came in contact with. He healed some. Now, how's that fair? And when we look at, at healing, and, and we ask those questions of why this person, and why not this person... At least one thing we can know is it's consistent. <laughs> when we look back at Jesus' own healing ministry, which was a powerful healing ministry, not everyone was healed even then, were they? And perhaps this is just, this is just bonus, all right? But perhaps this is a lesson we could learn in the church. I wonder how many people have not been helped by the church 
in the name of being fair, of, well, if we did it to you, we'd have to do it to everybody, and we can't help everybody, so we can't help you. And I just wonder if it wouldn't be better just to help the people we can help and live with the fact that it's not going to be fair. But maybe we can touch somebody's life, right? And so one thing we notice about Jesus' healing ministry is that it was not fair. Another thing you might notice is that it was not theatrical. You know, if Jesus had wanted to, he could have cleared out the colonnades that day, right? I mean, he could have put the pool of Bethesda out of business, right? I mean, he could have shown up, I got a feeling that there's someone here that's been crippled for 37, wait, no, 38 years. Come on down. Oh, you can't? That's all right. I'll come to you. Be healed in the name of, oh, in my name. (laughs) I guess that'd be my name that I'm healing in, right? He could have made a big, big show of it. And, oh, I mean, the TV ratings would have shot through the roof, right? Can you imagine if if Jesus was running healing crusades today? But it wasn't theatrical. And time and again, when we look at Jesus' healing ministry, more often than, this is actually unique, where he comes to a person and says, do you want to be healed? Because usually it's the other way around, and people come to him and, Lord, would you heal me? Lord, would you heal my daughter? Lord, I, I, I want to see again. Would you touch my eyes? Lord, our, our friend is not well. Would you heal him? And there's this this humble coming to Jesus and pleading in faith. This story doesn't end there. We're told that after he got separated from Jesus and the guy was still carrying his mat, he got, uh, got kind of caught by the moral police of his day. And they said, Excuse me, sir. Are you forgetting it's the Sabbath day? And we have lists of what you can and cannot do on the Sabbath day. And carrying your mat is not on the can-do list. And he said, well, the guy that healed me said I should just pick up. And they said, who's that? I said, I don't know. We got separated. and I don't know who he is. Well, a little bit of time goes on. And, and Jesus meets up with the guy again in the temple, busy place, right? Coincidence? He meets up with him again. And he says to the guy, See, you're well now, aren't you? Now stop sinning before something worse happens to you. Now that's interesting to me because it seems that Jesus' healing ministry often preceded the gospel. A lot of times he'd heal someone and then forgive their sins, right? In this case, he heals this guy and then he talks to him about getting his, his stuff in order, right? His life in order. And this is perhaps another lesson that the church needs to learn, right? That people don't need to clean themselves up and get them all their ducks in a row before we do anything for them. On the contrary, doing something good to someone may just be the thing that opens their heart to hear the gospel. And so we should do good, not based on 
how good someone else is, right? We should do good to people just as Jesus did even before we share the gospel. And really that's, that's further proof of the whole it's not fair thing because here's a guy, you know, and, and it's further proof that there is no formula for this. Here's a guy that evidently had some sin issues. We wouldn't call him a, a man of a particular great astounding faith it would seem. And yet Jesus healed him. He picked him. Even in sin and healed him. Now, whether or not this guy got offended that Jesus was pointing out his sin and, and decided to get back at him or whether he was just naive, we don't know. But from there, he went back to the moral police and said, hey, I found out who it was. It was Jesus. <laughs> and he tattled, basically. <laughs> and so the moral police come to Jesus then. What do you think you're doing? Healing on the Sabbath day. Telling people to walk around with their mats on the Sabbath day. And Jesus tells them, look, my father's always working I'm always working. Sorry. And this really bothered the moral police on a couple of different levels. For one, to call God your father was offensive to them because they said that's basically making yourself equal to God. Because in their culture, the son was the heir, the agent, had the father's authority to act and to work and Jesus saying that he was doing the father's work <laughs> was putting himself on a level with the father and they didn't like that one bit and of course they didn't like him messing with their rules right but here's the other thing Jesus healing ministry prioritized people over rules and there's another one we need to hear sometimes don't we I mean any rules we have around here ought to be to help people right and when they cease to do that, they need to be either changed or broken. Because we're in the business of helping people. One more thing that I want to mention about Jesus' healing ministry that we can take from, from this passage was that as he went from this place, and as he went through his, this ministry in which he would teach and he would heal, people more and more followed him. And they followed him, we're told, actually right after this passage, I believe it's at the beginning of John 6, that people were following him because of the signs that he did. And Jesus would talk about his healing ministry in terms of a sign of the kingdom that he was ushering in. That they should know who he is by the works that he does. And this is, we need to recognize, the primary purpose of Jesus' healing ministry was to announce the kingdom, to be a sign of the kingdom that was coming. To announce to the world that God doesn't want all this for you. He doesn't want you to be broken and in pain and in sickness and your body to be unwell. He wants everyone to be well. And I'm ushering in a new kingdom and a new hope for you. And here are the signs of it. And the people, this was not lost on the people who were awaiting a Messiah. And this was one of the signs that they expected the Messiah to come with. And so people followed Jesus because of the signs that he performed. And this reminds us that there's more to healing than just the healing going on. There's something deeper at stake here. Just as there's more 
you know, just the people that, that, are, that do this, right? The, the divine healing, the people that take advantage of this and take advantage of people and capitalize on this idea of divine healing and take it to unbiblical extremes. For them, it's about the healing, not about the kingdom, right? It's about the healing. And just like for a lot of false teachers, it's about the money, not about the kingdom. But it's always about Jesus first, if we're going to stick with biblical truth. And to summarize what's going on in Jesus' healing ministry, we can say that our ailments, we need to recognize this, are only a physical symptom of our spiritual problem. And I don't mean that in the, in the sense of just that every physical ailment has a direct correlation to some sin in your life. That's not my point, although sometimes we see that happen, don't we? Where it's pretty clear cut. <laughs> you know, you, you made some sinful choices in your life and you're paying consequences for it now. We see that in people's lives every day. But, but what I'm talking about here is the broader biblical worldview that when sin entered the world, when people chose our ways over God's ways, that something went wrong in the world. Something got bent out of order, got broken in our lives and in the world. And, and so sickness and death entered the world. And so sickness is just a symptom of the problem. It's not the problem. And we have to recognize that if we're ever going to have an appropriate view of what's going on with divine healing. And we also need a reality check. The evidence for this, that our ailments are only a physical symptom of a spiritual problem, is the fact that every single person that Jesus healed went on to die. Even the people that he rose from the dead, right? I mean, Lazarus isn't still with us. He went on to die. And so what good is it to have a perfect, prosperous, long, healthy life and then die without Jesus? And there's more at stake in this world than money and there's more at stake in this world than health. And so what do we do? How do we approach healing in the church? What should be our, our perspective? What are some practical things that we should do or should not do? And what I want to do, just for practical application purpose, is to kind of walk through that passage we read a few minutes ago in James 5. where James is super practical. I love that guy. He writes this letter and, and he just... He just spells it out kind of for you. So, you know, we do have a little bit of a challenge of kind of putting ourselves in the first century shoes. But let's just kind of walk through this passage quickly and, and see what we can see that we can apply in our lives and in the church when it comes to healing. The first advice that he gives us is that if you're suffering or you're having trouble, any one of you, pray about it. Pray about it. Even before you pick up the phone to call the, the pastor or the prayer chain or to put it out on social media or whatever it is, you pray about it. If you're having trouble of any kind, pray about it. Now on the flip side of that, if things are going well for you and you're not suffering and you're feeling happy, praise God for it. <laughs> 
you know, sometimes we're, we're quick to bring our, our needs to God and we're slow to praise Him and the, we take for granted the good seasons, right? And James is saying, well, if, if you're in a bad season, pray. But if you're in a good season, pray and praise God for it. Give God the credit. James also says in the same letter that, you know, every good and perfect gift comes from our Father, our good Father, right? And so give Him praise for it. Then he gets more specific. If you're really bad off, if, I mean, if you are sick, then let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and, and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And I, I want to take just a quick moment here because this kind of blew my mind this week. I've, I've read that a bunch of times and I've always just pictured what the church that I grew up in did, which is uh, when someone was really bad sick, they'd come down to the front and asked to be anointed and prayed over by the pastor and or the elders of the church and we'd gather around him and we'd pray for him to be well and this so when I read this that's what I picture and and I did just some research this week on this and I found out that, that word anoint there's several words that get translated anoint uh, in, in our Bibles and they have different purposes and uses and see that's because people in the first century uh, Judea, they, they had lots of purposes for oil. They used oils for lots of, I mean, they used it in cooking, right? We still do that. They used it uh, as a hair product. We don't do that so much. Uh, although, I think some ladies are now putting coconut oil in their hair. I don't know. But anyway. <laughs> but there's kind of a revival of oils going on right now. You maybe have heard of essential oils, right? And, and I think, Wendy, do you sell essential oils? See, if you need you some essential oils, you can talk to Wendy, and, uh, and she can get you some. But oils were a big deal back then in a day where they didn't have umpteen things they could prescribe you. They prescribed you basically essential oils. And, and so there were, there were practical uses for oil, hygiene, medicinal purposes, etc. And then there were religious purposes for it, you know, anointing a king, anointing someone in, a, in some kind of ceremony. And so there were these different purposes. And, and the word used here is, is more the pra- is usually used with practical things. You know, the putting the oil in your hair, or using it for medicinal purposes and things like that. And, and so what was suggested was that actually what was going on here is that someone was, was sick, probably bedridden at home, probably they would have normally been in our day and age in a hospital being treated by doctors. But in that day, without really that kind of thing going on with without the medical care that we know today. Someone's sick at home. They call for the elders of the church who would bring medicinal oil and apply it to this person and pray over them. And so this was a, would have been then potentially a really cool, benevolent act by the church. Taking an oil that was probably pretty expensive and applying it to this member of their church in an act of love and service and praying over them. Now, in our day and time, we leave most of the doctoring to the doctors. But it doesn't mean we can't still go and care and pray for someone. And the other interesting thing here is that it just says that they called for elders, you know, mature believers in the congregation to come and do this service to them. To pray for them. And, and to emphasize that point, James goes on to, to talk about if you're praying for someone, if you're the one that goes and prays for someone, pray in faith, knowing that God is more than able to do incredible things and to heal people. 
And so, he says, the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. And then he reminds us that Elijah was just a human being, just as we are. He talks about Elijah, this great, I mean, he was like the Superman of Judaism, okay? He was the Superman of Israel. This guy, he called down rain, he called down fire, he called down droughts, he called down, he raised a child back to life, and the list goes on and on of the miracles that Elijah performed. And James says, look, he's just a guy like us. Pray in faith when you pray. And can I just point out that pastors are just guys too. <laughs> we got nothing on Elijah. <laughs> and James says, Elijah's got nothing on you. And while I am glad to come and pray for you because I care about you and would love to pray for you. Don't ever discount the prayer of someone else. A prayer in faith is a prayer in faith, whether it comes from someone with an, a reverend on the front end or not, right? So whether I'm praying for you or Kenny's praying for you or Ed's praying for you long distance from the Holy Land of Tennessee, <laughs> or someone else in this church comes and prays for you, when they pray in faith, know that that's a good prayer. That's a good prayer. And then James ends kind of the way Jesus often ended. Starting to talk about what matters most. Because James also realizes that physical ailments are just a symptom of a spiritual problem. And he says, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back. Remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. He also in this same area tells us to confess our sins. To confess our sins to one another even. Because when you confess to one another, then there's accountability, right? And it's harder to go back doing those old things you were doing when, when the people around you know to support you and, and know what you've had going on. And so confess sin because James realized that there's more at stake than our physical health. Now just to be clear as we begin to wrap up this message, I'm not trying to discount divine healing. But rather asking that we see it for what it is. Nothing more than an advance or a sample of what our true hope is in Christ of the hope that we have for our resurrection when Christ returns should we pray for physical ailments clearly yes should we be consumed with that endeavor as our primary mission in life or even in prayer clearly no life is more than health just as life is more than wealth but both in good measure, are a blessing. Amen? So, thank God when you're in good health. Praise God when He does something great. We're celebrating right now in, in my family at the one year mark of a tragic health situation that came up with Julie when she was just a few weeks pregnant with Peter. And, and we were, I've just been praising God a lot this last week. Uh, it just has hit me several times. And for instance, we walked down to camp meeting and, and walked in the door and, and people there remembered 
stopping everything last year to pray for Julie, who was in ICU with this pulmonary embolism, which is one of the leading causes of death in pregnant ladies, and praying for her, praying for Peter. And here we are a year later going to camp meeting with a healthy five-month-old son and a healthy mama. And we just said, thank you, God. And I remember being in that emergency room a year ago and, and they got the CAT scan back, which they hadn't wanted to do on a pregnant lady in the first place. And they saw the extent of the clotting in both of her lungs and the fact that one lung was partially collapsed. And they were in panic mode in the emergency room. And they couldn't understand how someone in that condition was still fully oxygenated. So they put her on oxygen anyway. <laughs> so it just wasn't right. And they couldn't understand why there wasn't any strain on her heart. They kept an eye on it anyway. And we thank God for the miracles in her life. But even as we do that, I know that there have been godly pregnant ladies that didn't make it. Even from the same thing, because like I said, pulmonary embolism is one of the leading causes of death in pregnant ladies, and not all pregnant ladies survive that. And not all families could stand there a year later and thank God that their kids still have a mama the way I've been able to do this year. And it reminds me then that there's more at stake than physical healing. That there's so much more at stake than our health in this life. And truly, what good would it be to live a long and healthy life and in the end not have Jesus? Our hope is for a kingdom fully come, for Eden restored. You know, I mean, our hope is, is for that land where the lion lays down with the lamb. Where the wars end and the sickness and the death ends and darkness is fully swallowed up in the light of His glory where God is everything and God is enough. And so, men and women of God, throughout biblical history and still yet today, have often stood up and in faith declared that even though he were to slay me, still I will hope in him. Even if I never get well, still will I put my hope in him. Even if it doesn't all add up, still my hope is in him. Even when I don't understand. Still, my hope is in Him. And maybe someone here today has been angry at God. It didn't come through. Would you take the courage to say, even though I don't understand it all, I put my hope in His promises. I put my hope in in the future that he bought for us on the cross and with his resurrection.
Because there's more at stake than physical well-being. Physical ailments are just a, a, a symptom of the spiritual problem. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment? I want to ask you if anyone in this room has a physical need or someone you love dearly has a physical need that you want to pray in faith for God to meet would you just raise your hand Mm -hmm. so many Let's pray together right now for that. God, we have faith and we believe that you are a powerful, miracle-working God. Even though we don't understand it all, we know that much. God, encourage our faith. Build our faith. And right now we want to pray for these loved ones that we know who are suffering. And ask that you would heal them by your great power. And we promise to give you the glory. Amen.